Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf pay base. And today's is Le'ilu Nishmas, Ben Sion Ben Ze'ev Avram Halevi, Shalom Ben Avraham, and Nechil Moshe Ben Shabsai. May the Neshamas have an aliyah and may their memory be a blessing. Um, sure, yes. Yes. And for Rufur Shleim of Ben for Ben Yomin Ben Sarah, and may he have a complete and uh, speedy recovery. The uh, sure, this is a fascinating daf. Short, lots to go, lots, lots of very fascinating questions that come off of it. But let's uh, learn through it. So he says the the new Mishnah at the top of Pei Beis Amud Aleph eighty two a says Hatinoikos ein ma'anin oison beyomakipurim. We don't make children afflict themselves on Yom Kippur. Ah, you don't have to stop them eating. It says, But we start them eating one or two years. We train them one or two years. So that they accustom themselves in mitzvahs. Firstly, as we'll see, when it says, It has the connotations of, like training them little by little. I, for example, as we'll see at the end of the Gomorrah, but this, this, I mean, it's a bit of a discussion what exactly it means, mechanchim, but here it would mean, mechanchim um, is you guard, um, you train them, sorry, little by little, that if they normally eat breakfast at 8 a.m. on Yom Kippur, tell them to wait till 9 a.m. If they normally eat breakfast at 9, tell them to wait till uh, 10. I, mechanchim, train them a little bit, again, so that they accustomed to the mitzvahs. Just a quick thing, and, and now this Gomorrah is going to discuss exactly, the first question the Gomorrah is going to ask is, if you train them two years before, obviously you train them one year before, so what does it mean, lifnei shona v'lifnei shosayim? Also, I should have pointed out, lifnei shona means before the year that you would start chinuch. So, if they, let's say a boy, we know he's bar mitzvah at 13, lifnei shona would be uh, 11, two years before 13. Um, okay, but let's just, just one point on Chinuch, is uh, the Tosos Yashonim here asks an interesting question. He says, in Noz, sorry, what's it? Can't find, um, we basically ask the question that, um, um, here it seems that we train children, I, it's, a, it's a responsibility, and elsewhere we say that based in other people are not responsible for chinuch. It's a big discussion in the halacha, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, and it comes out from this, a part of it is this discussion, who's obligated in chinuch? It's definitely the father. The father has to train his child to do mitzvahs. But what about the mother? That's one question. And the second question, what about other people? What about based in? If based in see that... Uh, family let their children just run around crazy, do they have any obligation, uh, you know, doing Averas, etc. Do they, do the Beisdin have any obligation to step in? Um, so generally we would say Beisdin don't. Um, so one distinction given is if the child is under the age of Chinuch, then, oh, sorry, and this is based on that we have another concept is that you must stop a child doing, a father has an obligation to try to stop a child doing an Avera, but not based in. 
So it seems so here, why not here? Um, so the one answer given is, if he's under the age of Chinuch, then only the father has that obligation. If he's over the age of Chinuch, then everyone would have that obligation. Okay, but it gets a little bit tricky. Um, another issue, which uh, another answer discussed, is that the difference is if it's a positive commandment or a negative commandment. Chinuch, um, if it's a if chinuch is doing extra again, a child under bar mitzvah doesn't have the obligation of mitzvahs. If chinuch is doing extra, then he should um, then it would only be relevant by positive commandments, because we find um, this is discussed in a few places. But we find that if you want to do extra, there's a mala in doing positive commandments. I mean, the Maral learns that the Avos, the, our forefathers in Egypt, even though they weren't obligated in the Torah yet, they kept positive mitzvahs. Why? Because they, because um, you get reward for them. But refraining from a negative commandment that isn't relevant to you is not uh, is not doing anything at all. So there's no point in that. So that would be a difference in whether it's a positive commandment. Do we tell the kids to do it, or do we stop the children from doing it? Chinuch would primarily be Mahamitzvah's assay. That's one of the answers given. Okay, let's go on to the Gemara. It says, Hashta bifnei shtayim chanchim lehu bifnei shonam and boy. If the Mishnah says that you stop them fasting the year before, two years before, then why does it also mention the year before? Again, obviously, if you have to, if a boy who's 10 has to start fasting, well then a boy who's 11 would definitely stop fasting. Oh, sorry, would, would machanchim him. You would train him. So, Amar No, the difference is, are we speaking about a sickly child or a healthy child? A healthy child would start two or three years before, and a sickly child would start just one or two years before. Amar ben ches u ben tes says, if they're eight or nine, you train them to start for just hours. I, as I explained, mechanche means if they eat, make them eat breakfast a little bit later, etc. Ben Yudu, Ben Yudalev, Meshalmi Midrabonon. If they are 10 or 11, then they have to complete. And Ben Yudbeis, Meshalmi Midoraisa. And when they're 12, then they have an obligation to complete the fast. Doraisa. Bittinoikes, this is all with a girl. We know that a girl turns by mitzvah. Remember, what's the requirement to be an adult according to Torah law? So you have to have shteis aros two hairs and be twelve for a girl, or shteis aros two hairs and be thirteen for a boy. Um, that's what, yeah, you know, that's what we always mean. Rashi is a little bit tricky because Rashi speaks in the classic Gemara sense. Is remember when you've completed thirteen years, the day before your thirteenth birthday. And you start in your 14th year on your 13th birthday. So Rashi is a little bit tricky, but that's what he means. And that's why you often hear, and there's a little bit of confusion. I had this before in my school. At everyone, you always hear, when's a boy by mitzvah? When he's 13 and one day. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. Someone's by mitzvah when they're 13 and one day. Or by mitzvah when they're 13 and one day. So that doesn't mean, that's what we would call his 13th birthday. Because remember, 
He's been 13 years. When it's the, the day before his birthday, is he's completing his 13th year. And then he's 13 and one day on his next birthday, on what we call his 13th birthday. So don't get that confused. Okay, but back with, other way with a girl. We see that Rav Huna explained that when she's 8 or 9, we start training her. And then when she's 10 or 11, we, she starts actually fasting. And when she's 12, she starts fasting to Orisa. Rav Nachman, Omar, Rav Nachman says, now that was the ages for a girl. Rav Nachman is not going to argue, but bring the ages for a boy. He says, ben tesh, ben tes, ben yud When he's 9 or 10, we train him uh, to keep a few hours of the fast. Ben yud ben yud When he's 11 or 12, then we make him complete Midrabonin. We tell him he has to fast the whole fast. And Ben Yud Gimel Meshalmi Midraisa. And when he's 13, then he has to fast Daraisa. But Tinok, and this is all with a male child. So that's the, that's the one opinion of how to explain the Mishnah. Um, again, you build into the fact that we depend whether the child's weaker or stronger. And two years before they, you start training them, the year before you, they stop eating and on their vomits, for bat mitzvah, obviously they don't eat. Rabbi Yochanan, Omer Rabbi Yochanan says, Hashlom Rabbonin Leika. He says, no, there's no Xayr Rabbonin that children ever have to finish their fast. Ben Yudu Ben Yud Alev Machanchin Oysal Asois, Ben Yud Beiz Meshlam Shlim Doraisa. Regarding a girl, if she's 10 or 11, we start teaching her for hours. I, she would fast just a few hours in the morning. And when she's 12, then she has to fast. And now we're going to try proof. Either way, we're going to ask Kashas on the two opinions. Um, um, we learned in our Mishnah, children, we don't make them fast on Yom Kippur, but we train them two or three years before their bar mitzvah. Now, this makes sense according to Rav Huna and Rav Nachman. Again, the difficulty is, remember what we tra- struggled with in our mission, if they have to start two years before, if, they, if you, you can't say that they must start two or three years before. If they have to start three years before, well, then they also have to start two years before. So, we can actually explain the Mishnah very well. What does it mean a year, a two or three years before? It says, One year before you start making them faster. Which is the same as two years before the Divrei Torah. They have to start fasting according to the Torah. Again, according to Rav Nachman, remember, just for a girl, uh, or just for a boy, he said when they're 9 or 10, you start teaching them, which is a year before they start fasting, and two years before they start fasting, Doraisa. So that's why it's actually the same year. And then obviously, depending on whether they're a stronger or a weaker child. El Rabbi Yochanan Kasha, but according to Rabbi Yochanan, it's very difficult. Because again, Rabbi Yochanan firstly said that they never fast a full fast. So he can't explain that we're referring to this chinuch, this, this training them to eat breakfast a bit later, can't be going on two separate times. Because according to him, there's only one time. So Amalachor Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, Eima, 
I fix the Mishnah, A year, don't read it as, I, two or three years before, learn it as a year or two before their age, before they reach Bar or Bat Mitzvah. Sorry, I should have mentioned, he also, Rebbe, according to them, means they start Chinuch, like two or three years before their before their bar or bat mitzvah, whereas according to Rabbi Yochanan, he all said only one year before. But again, lifnei shana implies two years before. So where does Rabbi Yochanan? So how would Rabbi Yochanan says no? So a correct Mishnah to read one or two years before their perek. Again, if he's a weaker child, it will be one year before his bar mitzvah, or one year before she's bar mitzvah. And if it's a stronger child, it will be two years before. Again, and, and according to Rabbi Yochanan, that's not too fast. That's all too. L'sha'os, to make them eat breakfast later. Toshma, come in here, another proof. We don't make a child fast on Yom Kippur. But we train them for a year or two before their Barabat Mitzvah. Bishlam and Rabbi Yochanan, this fits in very well with Rabbi Yochanan. It sounds exactly like how we explain Rabbi Yochanan. But it's very difficult according to Rabbi Huna or Rabbi Nachman. Again, they said that a year or two before, he's actually fasting. It says, no. It means completing. Again, a little bit confusing, and that's what the Gemara is going to ask next. But basically, up to here, we've said, when we see the word chinuch, train them, it means to make them eat. Oh, you normally have breakfast at 8. It's Yom Kippur. Try wait till 9 or 10 in the morning. That's chinuch. Whereas hashlomo would be completing. And now we've said, when it uses the word chinuch, it means to actually complete the fast. Aye, so this brysa, that Rabbi Barishmul brought, which says, a child, you train them a year or two, actually means make them fast a year or two before the Babatzvah. Do we really call Chiruch Hashloba? We learned What is Chiruch? If he normally eats at the second hour of the day, tell him to wait till, not, till the third hour. If he normally eats in the third hour, tell him to wait till the fourth hour, etc. So, Rabbarula says there are actually two types of chinuch, which makes a lot of sense. It depends on the context. What do I mean by chinuch? When you say the word chinuch, it doesn't always mean make a child eat breakfast late. It means train them in the mitzvah. That's relevant. And, in the, and obviously, depending on the context, will be the correct training. I was thinking the same uh, with milk and meat. A young child, you can tell them not to eat milk and meat together. But you can't tell them to not eat milk. Once they finish their meat supper, then they can eat milk. As they get a bit older, you tell them to wait a bit longer. So we see that the chinuch is dependent on what they're capable of and what they're able to. Interestingly enough, um, two questions just before we go further. I mean, there's a, as I said, there's a lot to discuss. This is all one way of learning the Gemara. There's another way of learning the Gemara um, based on a slightly different text, which affects how Shulchan Aruch comes out, La Halacha. Um, but just one question, can a child fast if they want to? So from Rashi, it acts, actually sounds like they can, because if you look at Rashi, it says, Ein chayovim mehem you're not obligated to stop them eating. And which implies that, but if they want to, they don't have to eat. The Rambam actually says, no, it's dangerous. We do not yet let kids fast.
again, and depending on the age. I know, so it's a big discussion in Shulchan Aruch. It does sound from here that you should stop. You should at least uh, train, if not stop, uh, stop eating a little bit before. But I know my grand, and Shulchan Aruch seems to say that, but I know my grandfather always told us that under bombets for you don't fast. Unless the child has a very strong uh, constitution will to, the general rule is you don't let, his general rule was not to let children fast. It is discussed in the Mishnah Brewer there um, and elsewhere, but it's because we say we're like a weaker, we're weaker, we're not as strong, and you don't know um, fasting for young children could be very harmful. Again, a 12-year-old who's very strong feels very confident that they can fast. Okay, you can let them, but uh, he never ever insisted on children under Bar Mitzvah. I'm sure you've heard people say the year or two before they hit Bar Mitzvah or Bat Mitzvah, they start fasting. My grandfather discouraged it and he never made them uh, fast. Um, yeah, another interesting question is, is there a problem? So so we know there's one of the halachas, which I touched on at the beginning, but I didn't say it so clearly, is that you're not allowed to give a child isu. I, if a child, you have a young child who doesn't really know what's going on, so what do you do? You, uh, you let them do what they want. They want to, uh, I don't know, play with their toys. They want to draw on Shabbos and they go to the, the pencil case and take out their pencil and start drawing. Okay, so you leave them. But are you allowed to give a child a pencil to draw on Shabbos? Are you allowed to give a child non-kosher food to eat? So the halach is you're not. No matter how young. So are you allowed to feed a child on Yom Kippur? Can a mother, or I guess also a father, but it's often more relevant, can the mother give the child food on Yom Kippur? So they actually are minhagim and all poskim and say that she should try not to. And if the child is old enough, they should also try not to. But uh, strictly speaking, um, we hold that the mother can. It seems that they took away... Um, since I guess according to the Rambam it's easier, since it's dangerous for them to fast, well then the the xeris of not feeding them also would not apply. Okay, but that's an interesting question to think about. Um, let's go on to the next Mishnah and now we're going to discuss um, sickly people um, again, um, who don't have to fast. Remember, all mitzvahs I mean it's going to be the underlying theme of the whole Gemara, but all mitzvahs we say um I slipped my mind. All mitzvahs we say, um, uh, I forgot the beginning of the post, but it says, You must keep the Torah and live by them, and then we make the drosh of Elohim. You don't die by the Torah. I, for any mitzvah, we'll see the exception, but for any mitzvah, you rather transgress the mitzvah and stay alive and give up your life for the mitzvah. So, if someone is dangerously ill and they might die if they fast, well, then rather eat on Yom Kippur and don't fast. Rather stay alive and transgress the Avera. And we say the famous one is Shab. That often that's more relevant because it comes around more often. But it would be the same thing. Shabbos. Rather break Shabbos to save a life. And that's with all mitzvahs. So, so with that in mind... Again, to keep bear in mind, obviously we're discussing someone who's dangerously ill. We're not discussing someone who's just going to be very uncomfortable. Um, you can go into uh, which mitzvahs or are there any mitzvahs that you don't have to do if it's going to cause huge discomfort, huge pain, um, etc. But just to keep it straightforward, we're discussing dangerously ill, like it could cause death. So he says, Uvra 
pregnant woman who has smells food and has a craving for it, you can feed her until she settles, until it satiates, until her craving has passed. Um, just interesting how Rashi explains it is the fetus fells, smells the food and desires it so much that she has the craving. Well, I'm just explaining it. How, I don't know if we'd understand it like this, but again, the fetus is the one who smells the food and triggers the craving. And if they don't get the food, they'll be dang- it's, it's very, very dangerous for them. Um, just one. Yeah. Um, so it puts the mother in danger and therefore she's allowed to eat if she has this craving. And the interesting question that Rishonim go, go into is if it's a scenario, so obviously if the mother's in danger, she can eat or do something to save her life. If a fetus is in danger, can you break Yom Kippur or Shabbos to save the fetus's life? Um, we generally come out, yes, but that's a discussion in the Rishonim because the fetus is not an independent life yet. Um, okay, A choile, you can feed him according to the doctors. If there are no doctors or experts, you feed him based on his own request until he says enough. If someone seems dangerously ill and they say, I need food, so you say, let's speak to the doctor and you, there's no doctors around, then you feed him until he says, now I'm good. Um, just a few interesting points on this one regarding Bikin, regarding doctors. Is he doesn't have to actually be in danger now. It could just be that if he doesn't eat, it will lead to a scenario that he'll be in danger. I'm trying to think of a practical example, but it would be along the lines of, let's say someone who's diabetic. It's now, and let's say even for the next few hours, they're fine if they don't eat. The problem is if they don't eat now, in two or three hours, or by the end of Yom Kippur, their life will be in danger. So therefore we allow them to eat now. And not only, it doesn't have to be that they will definitely die. It's a doubt. We always say, Sofet Pikuach Nefesh also pushes aside the Torah. So if it's a Sofet, you're not sure how will this, if this person doesn't eat, they might be in danger and die, or might, again, it might trigger something that will cause them to be in danger. That is also considered um, an excuse, a reason to let them break Yom Kippur, break their fast and eat. So again, I think that's an important point because sometimes you, oh, you look at the, the person now, he's definitely fine. And without eating, he'll definitely be fine for another few hours. Just in a few hours or a few days, he's going to be in, in a life-threatening situation. Then even now, you make him, you tell him to eat. Okay, another one is, um, who are these? It uses the phrase Bikin experts. I translated it as doctors, but Bikin literally means experts. So who are the experts? Rambam says doctors. Why does it use the word Bikin instead of doctors? So that's a big discussion. What happens if you have two doctors and one tells you he needs to eat and one says, no, he'll be 100% fine if he doesn't eat? Okay, he'll be uncomfortable, he'll be weekly, but he'll be 100% fine if he doesn't eat. Um, so the one opinion wants to say, well, then you follow the bikin, you follow the greater expert. That's why it uses the word expert instead of doctor. But again, that's not conclusive. Some say it's a philosophic. If one doctor says you must eat and even an expert says, no, he doesn't have to eat. Well, it's a sophic, so you let him eat. But that's a, again a discussion in Shulchan Aruch.
Yeah. Okay, let's go on to the Gemara. Sorry. So if you have a... Now, we, we have said this rule that if a pregnant woman gets a craving to eat on Yom Kippur, we allow her to eat. She smells food and it gets and gets this craving. What happens if... And it's the same thing with other Isurim, other food like sacrificial meat. Or pig, she smells it and gets a craving. We allow her to eat. Now let's just read through the next few the steps, and then we'll go back and explain it. You stick a spindle in the sauce, and you give it, place it on her mouth. Let her suck it off the spindle. If it settles her craving, good. If not, you give her the juice of the food. The gravy. And if that settles her craving, good. Then you give her the actual food. Because nothing stands in the way of pikuach nefesh. Except for idol worship, um, arayos, we'll discuss that soon, the forbidden relations, and shvichos damim, and murder. So let's just quickly run through some of these things. Firstly, you try to minimize the Avera. So this woman has a craze, she walks, she smells this uh, chazir. So you try to minimize the Avera. So wipe a stick on it and let her lick the stick. If that works, good. Oh, she still has a craze, so give her some of the sauce. Now that's interesting. Why is the sauce also that this chazir or this non-kosher meat or the sacrifice is cooked in? Why is it also? Because it gets the taste. Now there's an opinion that says tamke ikodoraisa. The taste is also like the essence. So how does it? What's the difference? So interestingly enough, even though to eat the sauce that the chazir was cooked in is and it just has the flavor of the chazirin, chazirin, it is still also like the chazir. However, certain Rishonim point out. That, but it's not to the same degree of Isur. So it's also Doraisa to eat sauce that non-kosher was put in. Or if you're a non-Kohen, or if it's an Orla sacri- sacrifice that is supposed to be burnt and you're not supposed to eat. To eat the sauce is also Doraisa to eat it, like the Isur itself. However, it's not as severe an Isur. So rather eat the sauce. If it doesn't um, what would be uh, settle the craving, well then that purse, then she could even um, eat uh, the actual isur again because life doesn't get you um, nothing stands in the way of pikuach nefesh except for the three averas um, and one other point on that um, yeah, other Rishon bring it's not only a pregnant woman the smelling and craving that could be dangerous. It's not only a pregnant woman, it's just most common with them, but any person who smells and have a craving for food that would be dangerous to their health if they don't eat, they could eat. We mentioned the, the Gimel Hamuras, Avodazor, Gilaras, and Shvichas Damib. So just firstly, the run extends it to all the Avizrai, who the offshoots of it, which... Um, just a very a fascinating one is that the I'm trying to remember I think it's Rabbeinu Yona I once looked into it but Rabbeinu Yona learns that what's a what's a secondary case of murder he says that's embarrassing someone 
So theoretically, I don't know if we would pasca like that, but theoretically someone should rather give their laugh before embarrassing someone. They actually learn that out from Yehud and Tamar. You rather give your laugh um, than embarrass someone. Avodah Zorah, so there are lots of, there's offering incense, and then there's like bowing to an idol, and different ways of serving an idol. So those would be secondary factors. And by the Arayos, someone who learned that would be, obviously you're not allowed to um, have relations with one of the Arayos, but you would not even be allowed to, um, um, you'd not even be, you would not be allowed to uh, hug or kiss. And that might also be rather give your laugh and hug and kiss one of the arayos, etc. Okay, so that's, uh, so that's quite severe, but that would include all the secondary ones. And um, a question they ask, which arayos are included in this? Definitely we know adultery, but someone who says it's only the ones that are isukores, not the ones that are just a negative commandment. Okay, but that's another discussion. And then just one fascinating discussion. So we said, um, you have to give your, you rather stay alive. I ain't the chodover she'oymed bifnei pikoach nefesh. Nothing stands in the way of saving a laugh, except for these three averas. What happens if a person wants to give up their laugh? Let's say you have someone threatens, so obviously if someone threatens you and says, go murder that person or I'll kill you, you rather give your laugh than transgress murder. And so too someone says, serve that Avodah or I'll kill you. You rather, you rather serve the Avodah than give up your laugh. Um... But what about another Avera? Someone says, eat that pig or we'll kill you. Can't, so you don't have to. We said no Avera stands in the way of Pikach Nefesh. You can do what you need to stay alive. You can definitely eat that pig. But what happens if you want to give your life? Can you give your life? Um, so that's the Machlokes Rishonim. The Rambam says someone who gives their life when they're not supposed to, it's as if it's basically the same as Pikach Nefesh, as a uh, as a suicide, they are held responsible um, um, they're responsible. The Shach at the beginning of Yoradea Kufnun Zion says as follows he says Babach Posakarabam the Khomish Dina Lavor Valyarog Venerag Velo Ovar Harezem is Khabinafsho. If some any mitzvah that he has the obligation to rather transgress than give up his life, and he gives up his life and transgresses, he's liable for his own death. He's held accountable for his death. It says, um, They all hold like that. And then he brings other opinions. It says, So the other question asked it. Um, sorry, where was it? Yeah, so that's uh, so that's a question. Are you allowed to give up your life for other averas? It seems it's a machlokes rishonim. Um, there's another interesting question. Is we find like the famous one of the kinos that we say on Yom Kippur is the three hundred boys and girls who were being taken into capture by the Romans, and they jumped off the ship. They committed suicide. So everyone there learns it as a kiddush Hashem. But the one possibility is that they. They knew that they would be used for Arayos. 
So maybe that's why they gave their their lies. That's a so um, and we find many scenarios throughout Jewish history, and it's bring that they kadoshim people who gave their lives rather being taken into captivity. Um, but yeah, that's a, I find that a fascinating question. Are you allowed to, if you would rather give your life than eat non-kosher, are you allowed to for those other Averis? Okay, let's carry on. Um, now the Gomorrah asks, um, How do we know that you must rather give your life than serve Avodah Zorah? Tanya, Rebbe Lezer Omer, as it's taught in a Brisa that Rebbe Lezer says. Now this is based on the Pasuk, after so it says um, you must love Hashem your God and you must serve Him with all your heart, your life and your money. If it tells us you have to serve Hashem with your life, you have to give your life in service Hashem, why does it have to tell us you have to serve Hashem with all your money, and in them, if it tells us you have to serve him with all my decho, why do you have to? Why does it have to say with all your life? So the Gemara, so it answers. Oh, the price answers. You might have a person whose body, whose life is more valuable to him than his money. Therefore, it says, serve Hashem even with your life. If you have a person whose money is more dear to him than his life, well then it says, all your life, all your money. So we see that you have to serve Hashem, but on the server we see that you have to serve Hashem with all your life and all your soul, and it's well, have to ask Hashem, out of love for Hashem, avoid Zorah is the epitome of the opposite of love for Hashem. And therefore, um, Therefore, um, and you have to give your love. Everyone always asks on this, what do you mean that there's someone who loves their money more than their life? What sort of person are we talking about? Um, so there are various different answers given, but I think the one answer is that obviously we're not speaking about literally his life. They might, I mean, they might be. I don't. I didn't think it's that far, and I think there are quite a few people. If you tell them you have to live in abject poverty for the rest of your life, would you rather live or die? I think there are people who would say, "I'd rather not live like that and rather die." But maybe I'm a bit cynical. Um, but other, it sounds very unreasonable. Most people would much rather have their life than think. So the one answer given is: What's the person prepared to undergo? Some people would rather undergo a lot of pain, a lot of uh, suffering. And be have a lot of money, then have less physical suffering, and be poor. So that would be the uh, um, that would be the uh, calculation. That would be the calculation in their mind. I'd rather physically suffer, rather go through pain, etc., and have money, be wealthy, than the other way around. Um, I think from a Musar perspective, that's very important, is we often our view, let's view our life as, a, as what we are doing with the time we're given, with the life we're given. And sometimes we are throwing away our lives in pursuit of money. Not 
not, I'm not saying don't earn a parnasa, and I'm not saying uh, running a business, all these things are bad, but I'm just saying it's something to be aware of. Sometimes we get too caught up in the importance of earning money, in the importance of making sure we have enough money. And that we're giving up our life, we're giving up the valuable time we have of our life in pursuit of money over, over other things. And I think that could also be a message, a lesson from this idea of someone who prefers their money for their life. I think consciously, I don't think many people would do that. But also subconsciously, it's, or not subconsciously, it's something we have to be aware of. Where are we putting in our energies? Where are we investing our time? I always, uh, I don't know, the wrong word, always joke, it's the wrong word. I always uh, wonder, Man, we spend so much time doing things so that we have nice time to spend with our family, so that we have nice time to learn Torah. But before we know it, we're spending our whole day invested in all these other things so that we have gets money to spend on our family, money so we can spend time with our family, etc. Sometimes we do very quickly lose track of the focus, the real focus. Okay, let's carry on. So that's the source that you rather give your life. It says, You must serve Hashem with your life. You must rather give your life than serve Avodah Zorah. Where do we know that Gilu Arise and Shvichas Domim, you must rather give your life than, rather give your life than transgress them? So he says, the Tanya, Rebbe Oimer, we learned from Rice that Rebbe said, There's discussing a man who raped uh, Nara Morosa, basically a married woman. So it says, just as a person who tries to kill someone, this is the same. I, this man raping this married woman is the same as a murderer. It says, What are we learning? What are we learning from Rotsayach, from a murderer to a Nara Muraso? says, says, yo, we thought it sounds like it's coming to teach something, but actually it's to learn from the, each one from the other. Just as a Nara Muraso, you can save her by killing. I, it's, it's, it's discussed in the Gomorrah in San, Sanhedrin more, in more detail. But it says if there's no, it's, it's discussing if she was raped and there was no one to save her. I, if there is someone to save her, he saves her in whatever means. I, you rather kill the rapist to save this woman. This Afrotzach, and we say the same thing by a murderer. So that's one thing we learn from, um, from Nara Muraso uh, to a murderer. That you should, if you see someone about to kill, you can kill them to save the person. Or you can save yourself in self-defense. And then, what do we learn from Rotzeach to Naru Moros? It says, Ma Rotzeach, Yerobal Yavor, Af Naru Moros, Yerobal Yavor. Just as a murderer, he should rather give up his life than transgress murder. So too, uh, Naru Moros, he should rather give up his life than transgress. Verotzeach Gufa Minalan. Oh, before we go on, so there's a very interesting discussion. As you can see, Tosos goes into it in quite length. That's part of the discussion in this process. Is this seems to be specifically with the man, because a man is active. A woman who's just passive would not necessarily have to give up her life. And where do we see a similar example? By Queen Esther, she was went to be with Achashverosh, but she didn't have to give up her life rather than be with Achashverosh because she was passive. The whole time, um, but that's okay. But that's a 
big discussion in its own right. I just wanted to mention because it says Yarok Valyova, he should give up his life rather than transgress, but not necessarily a woman. It seems interestingly enough that, I mean, throughout history we've heard of uh, Jewish communities where all the women have given um, given their lives rather than uh, be involved in arayos. So obviously that would be one. That would either be a good source that if you want to, you can give up your life and you don't have to, or Arayos can, um, she can. Okay, but let's carry on. It says, A murderer himself, what's the source that he, that you can't kill and you must rather give up your life? So he says, It's a lo- It's logic. A certain person came before Rava. He said to Rava, I've got a problem. I was told by Mari Durai that I must kill so and so, and if I don't, he'll kill me. He says, You should rather let him kill you than kill someone else. Who says, Your blood is more red? Maybe the other person's blood is more red. Rashi explains it as follows. I'll just read the Rashi inside. So he says, Kolomar, my mishum says, Why do you think you can permit it based on the post of that? Based on the drosha of Vachai Bohem, you must live through the mitzvahs and not die for them. It says, Time or Shodava, what's the reason you should rather live than give up your life by other mitzvahs? Because Hashem, B'nai Yisrael, are more, a life of a Jew is more beloved to Hashem than a mitzvah being fulfilled. So, Omar HaKadosh Bochu, Titbo Mitzvah, the Yichyezeh. That's why Hashem says, rather transgress the mitzvah and live. But now the Jews are going to be killed either way. Who says that you should rather, who says that once the mitzvah is going to be transgressed anyway, because a Jew is going to die in the scenario, it's either you or the other person that you're sent to kill, um, there who says that your blood is more dear to Hashem than his blood. So interesting, Swara Harash explains it again that um, um, uh, sorry, what's it? That the reason that mitzvah, you can transgress a mitzvah to give your life to save your life is because Hashem prefers the life of a Jew rather than fulfilling his mitzvah. But in this case, the mitzvahs are going to be transgressed anyway, the li- and the life of the Jew is going to be lost. So who says it should be your life? Okay, now we're quickly going to do two stories regarding a woman who had these cravings on your kippur. He says, Ahu Uvra, the or there was a woman who smelled something and had a craving. Also, they came to Rebbe, so they came for Rebbe. He says, Omalahu zilu lachshu, Lord, do you want the kippur who lachshu lava echloshes? He said, You know what? Whisper in her ears that it's Yom Kippur. And they whispered in her ears that it's Yom Kippur, and Ilchashay, she settled. She t- uh, it took away the craving, just reminding her that it was Yom Kippur. That's a halach. If a woman has a craving and they need to eat, obviously they can eat, as we've seen at Sakona. But if you remind them that it's Yom Kippur, maybe that will subject, uh, subdue the Yetzirah. It says, Kori Oleo, Beterim Etzrach, Bebetin Yodotecho, Nofok Minei Rebi Yochanan. said about her, this Pasuk, that I knew you were Kodesh from the womb. I, this must have been a special child, because remember, as I explained, Harash explains that it's the fetus who who triggers the craving. So when the fetus hears that it's Yom Kippur and it's a holy fetus, well then the craving goes away. 
Um, that, I think that's uh, that's part of the pshat. Says Ahu Uvra, the Orch also came into Rabbi Chanina. There was this woman who smelled something and she had a craving, and they came before Rabbi Chanina. Omer lehu luchsho, lo v'lo uchlusho. So they whispered. He told them to whisper it in her ears. They did, and it didn't settle her. Kari alel zur roshoim erechom. The roshoim are foreign from the womb. Nafak binei shabsei otzer peiri. And who came from that? Who was the child? Shabsai Oisa Peri, Shabsai who hoarded produce. Um, again, this fetus caused her to eat on Yom Kippur. They seemed to be aware that there was something wrong with it. Um, and what was his? What was so bad about him? Oisa Peri. He used to manipulate the markets. He used to keep a lot of produce and release it at certain times in a way that he could take advantage of everyone and get the best price for his uh, deals. So he was known as a very, as a terrible person. Okay, we'll continue with the sugi. Oh, um, have a good Shabbos. And we'll continue with Pei on Sunday.